Hey there, I'm Adam Rissman, and welcome to Inside Intercom. It's well understood that to build a great product, you have to intimately understand the problem it's built to solve. You need to have felt the pain that was there before your solution ever existed. It's exactly that path that led this week's guest, Close.io CEO Steli Efti, to start his business. Close, in a nutshell, is a CRM that helps inside sales teams at startups and SMBs generate high-quality leads and close more deals. Prior to Close, though, Steli ran Elasticsales, which built internal software that got SaaS sales teams up and running. The CRM Steli needed simply to do this job well didn't exist, and he opted to build his own. Fast forward to today, and Close is not only a profitable operation, but Steli and the company have become widely known for the content they're sharing with the greater sales community be it through their blog, books on everything from product demos to outbound sales, and Steli's Startup Chat podcast that he co-hosts with Hit and Shah. So circling back to knowing the pain point your product is built to solve, one of Steli's core beliefs is that qualifying your leads well and in turn knowing whose problems can actually best be solved with your product is the number one key to success in sales. People always want to skip to the how do I you know close the deal and negotiate and how do we do like people want to talk about sexier topics than this but it's such a fundamental thing closing bad deals with folks whose problem doesn't exactly match your solution means churn and reputational hits so you need more than just a well-defined ideal customer profile you have to know just as well who you won't sell to you should only sell to people where you're convinced you're going to make them successful with your product or service right and if you can't you won't believe how much of a brand boost it can be, career boost, reputation boost it can be for you to tell people no. So how do you qualify leads well? Steli has a handful of best practices to share. A lot of times people will give you very surface level answers. And sometimes they'll give you conflicting answers. And if you don't listen carefully and if you don't care, then you think you qualified somebody when you actually didn't. If you enjoy my chat with Steli, we've actually published more than 100 Inside Intercom episodes to date. And to find them all and make sure you don't miss any of the great guests we've got in the pipeline, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, give us a follow on Spotify, or track us down anywhere you go for podcasts these days. And now, let's hop in the studio where I'm on the line with Steli Efti. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Steli, welcome to Inside Intercom. It's great to have you here today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so just to tee up our chat, can you give us a quick feel for your career to date along with the problems your team is solving at Close.io? Yeah, so I'll try to keep keep the short, <laughs> but the, the short-ish version is that I'm originally from Greece, grew up in Germany, factory work with family. Nobody in my family was ever an entrepreneur or ever received a higher education, so I was... Uh, was determined to keep one of those family traditions alive. I hated school. I dropped out of school when I was uh, 18 or so. And I basically have been an entrepreneur ever since. So I never had a real job. I'm completely unemployable with zero credentials. And so, so I've done a, a few businesses back in Europe. Usually, uh, or those businesses had very little to do with technology or software, all kind of bootstrap profitable companies. And then 12 years ago now... Um, I sold everything I had. I bought a one-way ticket to Silicon Valley, San Francisco, and I had this big grand idea for a tech company, and I thought I would change the world. Uh-huh. And I don't, you know, and, and I don't want to kill the suspense here, but that first idea didn't quite work out <laughs> the way I thought, and it ended up being a spectacular and heartbreaking failure. Like I, I worked on that company for five years, 
until I finally had to admit that business was uh, was just dead. And then uh, after that, I worked on a bunch of different projects and ideas. And ultimately, the company that I'm running today started off as a completely different idea. It went through a few twists and turns and pivots and ended up in the company that I'm running today. And I've been running for the past five years, which is called Close.io. And what we do at Close is very simple. Like, you know, we, we have built a CRM for startups and SMBs focused on teams that are, you know, that are doing predominantly inside sales. So, you know, we're not building software for people that are out there in the field knocking on doors, but for people that predominantly sell through the phone, email, and kind of virtually. And so we've built a, a, a tool that dramatically improves salespeople's productivity improves how they communicate, how well and how much they can communicate, and ultimately increases the revenue and the deals they close uh, while eliminating as much manual data entry as possible. So we're a tiny team with just 30 people, fully remote company. So I think 30 people across 10 different countries. And uh, we're highly profitable and we're growing very fast. And uh, we're some of, we're by far the smallest team in our space, but we're doing really, really well. And that's kind of like a bit of the backstory of who I am and the kind of things that we do today for our customers. So speaking of lessons from the early days, specifically with Close, as the co-founder of a company that is aimed to help sales teams, what do you remember most about the earliest days of going and selling this product to customers? What worked well for you? What didn't? Can you take us inside some of those conversations? The number one thing that we had learned and knew was that we really needed to understand who our ideal customer was. Mm -hmm. And with anything... I think it's not just important to know what you want to do or who you want to focus on, but to be explicit about who you're not going to serve right. and who's not your priority, right? So sometimes it's hard to, to, to stay your ground when you're like, we're not going to do enterprise sales. And then a massive company comes and they wave potential imaginary massive amounts of dollars your way. Mm -hmm. It's easy to think you're compromising when you haven't written out explicitly, we are never going to sell to the enterprise. Right. You right? haven't so, really defined your, your lane and put the bumpers up, that kind of thing. Yes. And, and so for us, before we launched Close, we did a few things that were incredibly helpful in the early days. We said, this is going to be our ideal customer who we're going to focus on. But we also said, here are the type of customers that if they come our way, we're going to turn away, right? We're going to say no to. The, so we didn't just have an ideal customer profile, we had a non-ideal customer profile as well, right? We explicitly put, you know, uh, uh, put, put it out there throughout the entire team. If this type of customer comes, we'll turn them away, we'll say no. Same thing with a product. We had like a product roadmap and we had an anti-product roadmap. Right. We're like, here are the things we're not going to build. Right? No matter how much people are going to ask us for this, unless our base hypothesis on who we are trying to serve and how we're trying to serve Unless we completely change the fundamental of how we're trying to build the business, we're not going to build these things. And I think that helped us a tremendous amount in the early days because as we got a little bit of publicity and got some PR and people started spreading the word, you in the early days especially, you'll get all kinds of requests, all kinds of attention, all kinds of potential customers coming your way. And it's very hard to focus and to prioritize. And when you're a small team, your time is everything, mm -hmm. right? And your speed is everything. So if you go super broad with a tiny team, you're going to waste a ton of time, right? And this is something that we definitely saw with a lot of our startup clients and, and a mistake we didn't do with Close 
to which I'm very grateful for. So truly understanding who we wanted to go after and who we wanted to serve and who we didn't and knowing how we wanted to deliver value and what were the type of features and things we wouldn't do, even if they seemed popular. I think that helped us to be super laser focused. Yeah, I really liked what you were saying about how it helped your team formulate the idea of who was really ready to get value from this product and who might look really good on paper, but the value just wouldn't be there for them and long-term the relationship wouldn't work. Speaking directly to that ideal customer profile, I'm really interested in that. What types of inputs did you have in terms of creating that, both in the here's who we want to attract and here's who isn't a great fit for us, even if they are the big glowing enterprise or unicorn company? Yeah, so we knew from the get-go that you know we ask ourselves, who is a type of customer that we truly understand and we understand better than anybody else in the marketplace? And who is a customer that we truly care about, right? And for us, it was clear that startups and small and medium-sized businesses were the type of businesses, A, we understood really well because we had run these types of, like a lot of people in the company were entrepreneurial and had run a business before. I had run multiple you know, startups and SMBs before. So it was just an audience that we intimately understood and we understood better than the other types of potential customers. And we cared about more, honestly, about them than, than anybody else. We, we were just not excited about making you know, a, a massive conglomerate a little bit more efficient. Like It just was not exciting to us, even if it meant millions of dollars. So that was one thing. The other thing we knew was that we were like, we believe that sales at its core was really result-driven communication. And if this was true, we really wanted to build communication software for salespeople. So it was by then, by definition, we needed to focus on mainly on salespeople that would do inside sales, that would communicate a lot, you know, virtually with our customers versus the field salespeople, which is a part of sales that was in decline anyways over the years. Still an important part, but in decline for sure. Mm -hmm. And something, you know, being an amazing tablet field sales CRM and sales platform and being an amazing inside sales kind of call email communication based platform they are not the same and to be great at one thing you're gonna have to be making compromise in the other so we knew from the get-go we wanted to only sell to sales teams that did inside sales and not field sales that was just not our thing we knew we wanted to focus on startups and SMBs and not on the enterprise, and also not as much on hobby users or individual professionals, uh, kind of single users. Although we have some of these customers, that was not our primary kind of ideal customer. And if even that, there were a few more things, but even this actually like cut out a lot of people, right? When you say, we don't want to focus on professionals and single users. We don't want to focus on massive kind of organizations of thousands of employees or Fortune 500 companies. And then out of the ones that are that are still standing, kind of the small and medium-sized companies out there, we really want to focus on the ones that do mainly inside sales and not field sales. And on top of it for us, we said we're going to focus on the U.S. And that really just meant having all our content and all our communication, everything we did in U.S. dollar and in English. Mm-hmm. But from day one, we have customers all around the world. We just didn't focus on that. Right. right? We, we didn't do any extra work to make it better or easier for these types of international customers to purchase us. So we said we're going we're gonna to have to keep things very, very simple and narrow them down in a fairly focused way for a small team like ours to be able to do a good job and, and for us to be able to, to grow. So those were some of the, the early criteria, you know, SMB or startup, inside sales, we had a range where we said, you know, between five, in the early days, it was between five and 15 sales reps, 
mainly caring, uh, sales teams that mainly cared about productivity over other things like reporting, forecasting, security, uh, integrations, like all these things were things we wanted to address, but there had to be a priority. We wanted to be the best productivity tool for sales teams, not the best reporting tool for them. So what they really truly cared about mattered a lot to if they would get a lot of value from a product or not. No, that absolutely makes total sense. And it really plays into one of the other core topics I wanted to talk to you about today, which is is lead qualification, which is really an, an extension of this idea and how it comes to life in practice. Uh, I know you've been on the record as saying that qualifying leads well is is maybe the number one key to success in sales. And I'd love to have you expand upon that. I mean, why do you see that as an above all criteria? Yeah, um, it's such a non-sexy topic. <laughs> so people people always want to skip to the, how do I you know close the deal and negotiate and how do we do, like people want to talk about sexier topics than this, but it's such a fundamental thing. Well, to me, qualifying to me just means I went through a process to first evaluate, can I help you? And then can you help me in return, right? Mm-hmm. If the answer, can I help you and can you help me? If the answer to both those questions is yes, selling is very easy, right? It should be. At that point, also, once, I've, once we've qualified somebody, I'm not asking you to buy, I'm telling you, right? right? I'm an expert and I've now made the decision for you in your best interest. I'm going to tell you exactly how much to buy, when to buy, and how to get the most out of the product. But before I have qualified you, I would never attempt to sell you anything. And the reason for that is that if I cannot help you, let's say we take the reverse example and the answer to both those questions is no, I cannot help you, you cannot help me. Well, the only thing that's going to come out of a relationship like that is wasted time and money, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing good will come out of this, right? Um, And so... In today's world, so th- there was a time where the only question that mattered to many salespeople was, can you help me, right? Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you have the money and can I convince you to give it to me, right? And unfortunately, uh, a lot of these type of salespeople were able to succeed just because they were able to bully prospects into submission, mm-hmm. right? They would bully or they would use some trickery and, and rhetoric and all that stuff. They would use pressure in one way or another to make somebody submit and say yes. And then the next morning, the prospect would wake up and they would have bias remorse, right? And and regret giving you their money. Well, in a world that wasn't transparent, in a world where if you weren't happy in your little town, the most you could do is tell a few of your neighbors or other people about it. But now I, as a maybe traveling salesperson, have moved on to the next town (laughs) that I go and, you know, bully people into stealing their money in one way or another. It might not have mattered as much. But in today's world, where if I have a bad opinion about you, if I feel mistreated by you and your company, your brand, I can publish my experience with the world and it will stay alive. It will stay published forever, right? 10 years from now, people will still be able to find that opinion about you. It's getting increasingly harder to be able to have a career in sales or build a business or brand by, you know, getting people to give you their money that shouldn't have given you their money because you can't truly help them. You can't right. really deliver value to them. So I think that model just is on a steep decline and I, and I try to do whatever I can to accelerate that. And so in today's world, I think you should only sell to people where you're convinced you're going to make them successful with your product or service, right? And if you can't, you won't believe how much of a brand boost it can be, career boost, reputation boost it can be for you to tell people no. 
Like we have this all the time where we tell people you should not purchase our software and then they start arguing with us, right? And they're like, no, but I really should. And we're like, well, but you know, you're not going to get as much value because X, Y, Z, we really think these are better alternatives. And people will fight us on this. But beyond fighting us on this, they will never forget that we're trying to put their interest in front of ours. Right. And they will tell friends. We have a lot of customers that came through recommendations and referrals because people feel like we treat them honestly and fairly. So coming back to this, the, the qualifying process, I, I honestly believe you should only sell to people you truly are convinced you can help. And you should only sell to people you think can help you, right? If somebody is a, it doesn't have the money, doesn't have the patience, doesn't have the decision-making power, maybe doesn't have the good manners to treat you well, right? If somebody is what I call abusive as a prospect or a customer, right? You should also have the right to say no to that, right? This person's not going to help me. They're always going to be creating issues. They're going to be unhappy. They're going to create a lot of support. They're going to create a lot of headache. And it's not worth our energy and time to invest in this relationship, even if we think we could help them. We don't think they can help us in return. So you want to answer both those questions with yes. Then selling to me is the easiest job in the world. But qualifying is the, the, the thing that precedes everything in sales. And I have people all the time at, at conferences. I speak at many conferences. I might be a little loud, you know, and, and <laughs> <laughs> on stage, you know, screaming at people. And then people, some people will try to test me and they'll come up to me and they'll go point their finger in my face and go, all right, Stelly, if you're that great at sales, sell me clothes right now. And I always tell them the same thing, right? I'm like, I'm like, first of all, I know nothing about you, nothing right. about your needs, nothing about what you're currently using. I'm not just going to sell you my product. You have to sell me on why you, why need, you would need it, right? Yeah. And, and then we can talk about it. And, and uh, it's always a funny scene. So, yeah, to me, qualifying is the first step to any customer relationship and it's the, the step that many salespeople, many sales teams, you know, they, they have it in their process, but they, they're, not as, they're not as committed to it because sometimes it feels like qualifying stands in the way of getting people's money. But I have found that if you qualify people correctly, not only will you get the, it's not just about getting people's money, it's about getting the right money, the type of money that multiplies, the type of money that will go out and speak highly and create your yeah. brand, your reputation. So more money comes your way. And the type of money that's, that's much easier to, to sustain so they don't churn, they don't create bad support tickets, they're not like a burden on your entire internal support success team because they, they were never the right fit. Like attracting good money is, is so much more important to me than just getting people's money. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. 
It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So you mentioned that qualification is something that every sales team will say in, in theory that, yes, this is very important, but then it's harder to, for them to be as rigorous about it as maybe they should be. What's tripping them up the most? Are there common blind spots in the process? Or is it, again, just this sort of dangling carrot of, oh, this this would actually be really good in terms of me hitting my own personal number or team goals in the short term, but it's just the long-term value isn't there? Yeah, I think that it's two things. One, you know, the hardest part in qualifying is actually listening. And so a lot of sales teams, the way that, and sales leaders, the way they teach qualifying is just asking a prospect a number of questions, right? Getting some check boxes mm-hmm. checked off. But if you're not good at listening, if you don't truly care about the answers, you're just trying to get an answer, then you're always going to have a hard time qualifying because a lot of times people will give you very surface level answers. And sometimes they'll give you conflicting answers. And if you don't listen carefully and if you don't care, then you think you qualified somebody when you actually didn't, right? So uh, somebody that tells me, when I ask them, hey, what do you care most about in your sales team? And they say, well, to us, the number one thing is productivity. Really, the most important thing is productivity. And we just want our salespeople, when I ask them, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah well, we just need salespeople to, whatever, let's say, make more sales calls every day. And then two minutes later, they tell me, well, the most important thing for us is to have our forecasting numbers right. <laughs> like, it seems funny to us right now. It's like, obviously, something is wrong here. But I would tell you, I've, I've, you know, I've listened to, I, I don't know how many thousands of sales calls in my life of other people. And you'd be surprised. I would, I would guess that nine out of 10 salespeople in SaaS today in a five-minute conversation would not pick up on this incongruency. And, would, and even if they picked it up, they would not feel comfortable to highlight it mm-hmm. and to dig deeper, right? They would just go... Well, I wanted the answer to be productivity and sales calls. This person said productivity and sales calls. They said something else, but I'll just ignore this. Maybe they also, they'll make up a story in their mind. I think they really care most about, like, I'll hear a call like that or I'll be part of a call like that. And then I'll ping the salesperson. I'll be like, well, the prospect says two things is their number one priority. What is their number one priority now? Because otherwise, how can you sell to them when you don't know what the story is? So, Truly knowing how to listen, truly knowing how to pay attention and ask the right questions, I think that's the biggest hurdle to truly qualifying somebody. And then the other thing, and this is not something that salespeople are really to fault for, this is our fault, is that we tell in SaaS, we tell salespeople we care about great customers and only close the right deals and qualifying and churn is really bad and yada, 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 all these right and good things. And then we are sometimes putting a lot of pressure on the sales team to deliver some number because a board meeting decided that this needs to be the growth trajectory. And although there's all kinds of things that are standing in the way of the sales team to deliver those numbers, maybe marketing is not delivering enough leads, maybe the product had some 
problems or downtime. Maybe there's no competition. Whatever it is, there's some external factors that make it really hard to hit Maybe you tested pricing and that threw things off. It could be a number yeah, of things. Yeah, who knows? It could be a number of things. But we just still expect the sales team to deliver their, their fucking quota no matter what. And so we, we tell them do only the right things and say no to money. And then we add a ton of pressure for them to deliver the number. And I'm telling you, most people in sales, in my experience, are not black sheep. They're not liars. They're not people that want to trick customers or steal from them. They're gray sheep. They want to do the right thing, but they will kind of tell themselves a shitty, a bullshit story to be okay with maybe not doing perfectly the right thing for the customer, but something that could, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they make, you make these tiny little compromises of the salesperson, one little compromise at a time. And if there's not some kind of a mechanism to check you, you know, down the line, you have a sales team that, that sells to people they shouldn't be selling right. to. Nobody's really punishing them for it in, in reverse. They get rewarded for it, right? Because they're hitting their quota and they're getting bonuses and they're getting winning competitions and getting all kinds of positive reinforcement. And then we blame the salesperson for not being the, the cleanest, whitest sheep possible. Well, you know, if all the incentives are pushing salespeople in one direction, we can't expect them to go in the other. So I think that what, what are the biggest challenges for sales teams? One is an incentive structure that doesn't really encourage them to say no to revenue and money. And the other thing is that not enough training so they understand qualifying is not just about asking your four basic questions or getting the customer to say, yes, we care about X, Y, Z, so that you check it off a box and go and sell now. But, but qualifying is truly about understanding the customer well enough and intimately enough to know they should purchase your product. And to do that, you need to learn how to listen and ask questions in the right way. And, and if you have those two things, then you have a sales team that qualifies fantastically. I, I couldn't agree with you more, particularly on sort of the listening and picking up on those those really particular details. And, um, you know, you mentioned like oh, a little shortcut here, a little shortcut there. But as you scale your sales force and you have maybe 20 people on the sales team, and if everyone's chipping away a little bit, all of a sudden, these larger number trends start to dip because everyone's contributing a little bit to that. So when it comes to qualification and that idea of, of listening and listening deeper, at the same time, we have chatbot experiences coming into play. We have messengers on sites where you have a higher volume of leads, making it easier to get in touch. Um, Automation is great. At the same time, there's a lot of human aspects that simply can't be replaced in this puzzle. How do you see these technologies coming into play here? And and what's your advice in terms of how to best incorporate them without maybe being over-reliant on them? Yeah, my my biggest recommendation there would be, uh, number one, people should try this, right? They should try having chat technology on their website, on their app. They should try automating some of it, but they should really be focused on not just tracking the numbers, but really looking at these things as experiments that need to be evaluated at a 360 angle. And what I mean by that is if I put, let's say, if I have a website that has a lot of traffic and some kind of a form that someone can fill out to to request a demo, and now, boom, I have a chat window and people can ask some questions or maybe there's some qualification process going on where the chatbot is asking, no, please select how big is your team and like answer a few questions and then it prompts me to a demo or not or whatever. When you try this out, I think it's really important to A, track the numbers, B, but also check in with the sales team and, you know, a month later or so and say, hey, the the leads that we sent you through the chatbot or through the chat window, how were they different from the leads that come through the form have you seen any kind of quality issues as that like interrupted your workflow because of the way that we send them your way? Like just understanding how the sales team feels about this and what kind of stories they have to tell. But also 
coming at it from a from a visitor angle where you actually you know query or survey people that visit your website and left um, on how their experience was with the chat right or with the chatbot specifically because I heard this many many times where where people go to sites and they interact with a chat widget and a bot and they're not happy with it and I had this experience myself where I'm like this is actually not making me like you more but actually <laughs> making me like the brand less and and to me it's not the chat window or the bot necessarily it's the way it's implemented mm-hmm. My number one thing is that a lot of times we as an industry, we get overly excited about a new technology. We think, well, if we use this new technology, then all our problems will be solved, right? And then we are maybe not as, we're not as mindful about the implementation of the software, right? So we're like, oh, A-B testing software is out. That's going to solve all our problems. Nobody's converting on our website. Let's just use an A-B testing tool and all our problems will be solved. Well, no. Because you don't have your value proposition figured out, you don't have your ideal customer figured out, your traffic is really poor. So no matter how many A/B tests you run, you have fundamental issues that optimization is not what you're trying to do here on a specific landing page. The same thing goes for many other things, right? Chatbots being the new thing, or AI, attach, attaching AI to anything in SaaS being like the thing that everybody's like, well, this is surely going to solve all our problems. No, it's not, right? It is a tool. And in the right context, if you use the tool in the right way, it might be great for you. It might help tremendously. And it might not. It might not make a big difference. You have to test it to figure it out. But I see too many chat apps, too many bots implemented in a way that's not thoughtful and then generating results that are not successful. So that will be my... I think that the, those tools are awesome. They help with increasing hopefully customer intimacy which is a, a, a thing that i care deeply about and i think is is how to succeed and win in business in the marketplace but i would also warn from people to get just overly excited about the tool the tool is never going to save you the tool or technology is never going to make your business successful or not you're missing a tool is never the reason why something is working a tool can always advance or improve something that's already working but it usually will not fix something that's broken. So keeping that in mind and being really mindful of how you implement these tools, I think is the is really, really crucial. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it all comes down to relationships, then you need to you need to come to this with empathy and look at it through a very sort of personal relationship building angle. And then I think what you were sort of hinting at there as well is just building a lot of learning loops into this process to continue to to iterate on it, just like you would qualification as a whole. Absolutely. So, Steli, this has been a lot of fun chatting today. Um, like you said earlier in the program, you guys are putting out a ton of content. You're also speaking at a lot of conferences. So where can our listeners go to catch you in the future and get more of your insights? And I guess just in general, keep up with the latest happenings over at Close. Yeah, so a few sources. Number one, if, if, if you uh, like some of the content that we shared today and you want to learn more, you want to have more material for the US sales team, I have a little bundle. It's 10 of my eBooks around sales uh, and has our email templates, our sales scripts, like a ton of material and all nicely formatted and organized for you. If you want that, just shoot me an email, steli, S-T-E-L-I, at close.io, close, like closing a deal. And just to put in the subject line, bundle, please. And I'll send you a link back where you get for free all our books and all our material. And if you like a podcast, since you're listening to this, you know, <laughs> a tremendous podcast, then go and check out the Startup Chat. So you can go to thestartupchat.com to find our iTunes link and everything. My friend Heaton Shah and I, and he's a icon in the SaaS space, yep. marketing genius come from a sales perspective. Uh, so we, we do a podcast twice a week, 20 minutes, Tuesday and Fridays, where we tackle a bunch of SaaS-related 
and business related topics, usually from a marketing and sales and founder and CEO perspective. So if you enjoy podcasts, uh, give us a listen there. And then as always, if you have a question or if there's anything I can help, it's my honor and pleasure. So just shoot me an email at Stelly at Closeout. I'm always happy to hear from you. That's awesome. And we're, of course, fans of the show that you have with Hidden. And I'd say just in terms of your books, we talked a lot about qualification today. And one of those in particular has a whole list of, I think, 50-something questions that are great for seeing whether or not they apply to your business when it comes to qualification, as well as frameworks for how to, uh, how to ask those questions. So, Steli, thanks again, and I hope we can catch up soon. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.